You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about immune dysregulation. Joining me is Dr. Edward Behrens, who is the Joseph Lee Hollander Chair in Pediatric Rheumatology and Chief of the Division of Rheumatology at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Behrens, for this fascinating topic. Thanks, Katie, for having me here. Well, let's start with a bit of a definition for listeners because immune dysregulation might be a little bit confusing for some. How would you define this? Are there any specific lab findings or symptoms and kind of what is this category that we're talking about? I agree, a bit of a complicated question. I think, you know, we've used to be talking about things like autoimmunity or immunodeficiency or ATP, and we sort of had all these different categories of immune diseases that helped us put patients into boxes and understand how we should be thinking about them. And of course, as we all know, life is much more complicated than the discrete boxes that appear in our textbooks. And what we've come to appreciate over time is that often patients don't fit neatly into these categories, and it does them a bit of disservice to try and shoehorn them into a particular box. So the concept of using the term immune dysregulation is taking a little bit more of an agnostic approach to describe patients that have issues with their immune system that's causing them a wide variety of symptoms, depending on where that immune system is attacking, without necessarily trying to shoehorn it into one of these classical boxes. So it's kind of a a newer way to say and appreciate that there are people out there whose immune systems are just in general misbehaving Mm. and causing them symptoms without really taking too hard of a line in the beginning as to exactly how that's happening for them. That's great. So it's a little bit of a more broad type umbrella diagnosis, perhaps, for some of the things that we used to have other names for. But to be even more concrete about this definition, can you help me visualize what might be some of the ways a patient with immune dysregulation might present in primary care? And I'm thinking, like, what are some of those, like, red flags that should prompt me to think that this patient might have immune dysregulation? I think that particularly from the viewpoint of a primary care provider, it's important to think about how these patients are going to present. Because a lot of times, these patients are going to have symptoms that are severe enough that gets into the hospital. And the diagnosis is being made in the hospital by subspecialty teams. But that's not always the case for patients with immune dysregulation. And they certainly do show up to the primary care provider or the pediatrician's office without that prior diagnosis, not infrequently. And I think there are two main populations of patients that I worry about in the primary care setting. The first is the infant or very young child who may have had a rocky NICU course or some issues early on in life that never really kind of got resolved, but they eventually sort of made it through that NICU admission or that hospital discharge, but then continued to present with unusual symptoms, fevers, rashes, big spleen, big lymph nodes, other things that prompt you to think about the immune system but not just a simple ear infection, but it feels like something more in particular because they had this history of a prior 
rocky NICU course or hospital admission. I separate that out as a specific group because when you're quite young, that makes us think about genetic lesions that cause this that might have been missed by the neonatal team or by the admitting hospital team that the general pediatrician then is well positioned to pick up on mm -hmm. because of that longitudinal relationship they're having with the patient besides that discrete admitted event. Right. And then the second group of patients that I think I worry about in primary care are the older patients, the tweens or the teens, that never had that quite so severe thing happen to them that landed them in a NICU or a hospital admission, but over the course of 10 years, 15 years of life, have just had chronic issues that, again, prompt you to think about the immune system, whatever that is, rash, fever, elevated sedimentation rates that no one can explain, something that makes you think that immune system is not quite right, that's just sort of always there and has not yet had an explanation. And those are the things that I think the general pediatrician can pick up on and then refer for further evaluation by a team that thinks specifically about immune dysregulation. Those are really great pearls and, and helps me visualize what type of patient we're talking about. Now, it seems that since the immune system impacts so many different organ systems and their functioning, immune dysregulation doesn't necessarily fit within the domain of any particular specialist. And I would imagine that as a result, the workup of some of these patients could become pretty complex because specialists are investigating their own area of expertise, but not always necessarily integrating it into the big picture of the patient as a whole. And I know that's something that we do in primary care because we're reading all of your notes and trying to look at this patient longitudinally as you said, but I know that you are involved in a multidisciplinary team that really helps address this issue. So can you tell us more about that? I began to feel frustrated seeing patients kind of slip through the cracks mm -hmm. because they never neatly fit these boxes that we sort of opened up talking about. And some of those boxes really come down to, as you said, different organs being involved in different ways, right? I mean, when you're, and this is no fault of anyone, this is just how modern medicine is practiced, right? If you're a hepatologist, for instance, you know, you worry about the liver, but that patient may also be having issues with inflammation in their lungs or inflammation in their skin, and that's less your wheelhouse, so mm -hmm. you sort of push that on to the next guy. And then the dermatologist sees them, but doesn't want to think about the joints, so pushes that on to the next guy, and so on and so forth. And so... To begin to get at that issue, we formed this multidisciplinary team here at CHOP called the Immune Dysregulation Team or the Dysregulated Immunity Response Team or DERT for short. <laughs> I guess, you know, I need to be more creative with my acronyms. <laughs> I um, like DERT. With the idea that we would identify people in each of these disciplines who really truly have a calling and a passion for immune-mediated disease, but then also really know their organ systems. And we would come together to work to diagnose and treat patients with these complex immune dysregulation disorders, both ones that are well characterized and described, and for patients that are their own N of one heretofore undiagnosed syndrome, to try and in a unified way come together to treat the whole patient and not just their own individual organs. And this team covers rheumatology, immunology, oncology, hematology, infectious disease, pulmonology, GI, hepatology, neurology, pathology. I'm probably forgetting some folks. And so I, you know, I, I, I apologize to them, but we really cover the whole gamut. And then as you pointed out, you read our notes. And I think that's the other thing that's a challenge for people is reading 15 different notes, right. each coming at it from a different perspective. And so I think one of the important products of our clinic is actually when a patient sees us and literally sees all those subspecialists, we generate a single note as our product 
which cohesively unifies the thoughts of each of those subspecialists into a singular note that I think is a lot easier to read and understand and act upon. Mm, I'm sure that's no small feat. And it sounds like something that I will really enjoy because you're consolidating everything and synthesizing everything down into one narrative. I love that. Although we were talking about immune dysregulation as this umbrella term, you mentioned just now that there are some patients still who might be just the N of one, that we don't yet know what their diagnosis or syndrome or condition is. So what's new in terms of precision medicine for these patients? The first is the rapid expansion of genetic testing that's available and the affordability of that testing. We now routinely are doing whole exome sequencing and even whole genome sequencing on these patients to try and either make a known genetic diagnosis in the patient that's presenting in an unusual way, or sometimes finding new and novel genetic diseases that these patients are actually the first presentation of. And we have examples of you know, both of these in our clinic. The other thing that, that I should mention that we do is we have alongside of the clinical program, a really robust research program which I think is important for these N of 1 patients because sometimes the answers honestly only come through research-based testing and research-based analysis of the genetic testing. And we have a, a whole side of the program that just deals in that. It's also just worth mentioning as we're talking about that, that I think there's this attitude or perception that genetic testing is really expensive and out of reach. And in some cases, that's certainly true. But a basic immune dysregulation gene panel that covers 450 plus genes is actually not completely out of reach, even when insurance is giving trouble. There are some programs that will just offer out-of-pocket testing at a lower cost, as high as $250 um, to the patient, but many cases even lower than that because it's realized that that's not necessarily even affordable for many folks. And that's also part of the work that our team does is helping these patients and families find ways to financially obtain these tests without breaking the bank. And then beyond genetic testing, we have a whole bevy of immune functional testing that we can now do, which includes measuring all the different immune cell types, measuring the functioning of all those different immune cell types, measuring the amounts of cytokines and other immune mediators in the blood. And so instead of just saying now to our patients, oh, you're inflamed, I can now actually say, you're inflamed in this very specific way with this very specific flavor inflammation. And the reason why that's important is that's now paired with a whole catalog of therapeutics that are highly specific to these different immune effector functions. When I first started in rheumatology, we had TNF alpha blockers, right? That mm -hmm. was the big fancy tool and the only thing we could block. Mm -hmm. And now I can basically block every cytokine from IL-1 numerically all the way up to IL-23. <laughs> There's literally a drug for every, you know, IL-1, IL-2, IL-3, IL-4, IL-5, IL-6, so on and so forth. So we live in an era where if we can really characterize the immune system, even if I can't give a specific name to your disease, mm -hmm. if I know the flavor of your inflammation, we can often come up with a specific precision therapeutic plan for you based on the availability of all these really cool drugs that we now have in place you just need a team that knows how to and is willing to do this kind of thinking. Yes, it's really amazing how far the science has come in just even my short career. And I'm sure you feel the same way as you said. What you could do at the start of your career is much different than what you can do now. And it's so much better for patients. So I'm wondering if you can give us an example of how your multidisciplinary team and precision diagnostics have improved patient care. 
there's so many I could probably talk for five <laughs> hours on this subject. So I'm going to try and uh, I'm going to reel myself in here. <laughs> but I think you know one really important way that we have helped patients is through the use of the rapid turnaround time cytokine panel that we developed at CHOP. So this was a test that we, our team helped develop in collaboration with the lab medicine department here at CHOP and, and Michelle Paisler in pathology, where we're able to measure 10 different cytokines and get that result back to us in eight hours. So it's not like one of these send out tests where you wait three weeks to get a result, but you literally get your results same day. Wow. And by measuring the different cytokines, one, we're able to sometimes make diagnoses based on the way that those different cytokines and immune mediators are moving. But we've been really able to narrow down and pick medicines for patients with cytokine storm syndromes. And this can include rare diseases, things like hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis or HLH, this genetic disease of over-exuberant immune response in children, but even helped us with COVID and Miss C, where we were measuring mm. cytokines and in real time making diagnoses and picking medicines for patients. And what it's allowed us to do is to specifically choose the right cytokine blocker for the right patient at the right time. And I think that's something that was like a dream of mine when I first started out. And it's, it's something that I just have to pinch myself to think that that's really reality, that we're mm -hmm. really using this lab test and in real time applying the results to pick the medicine that matches the cytokine that we see as dysfunctional. Well, your enthusiasm is certainly palpable, even just through the audio. And I'm excited to be able to refer patients to you knowing the great care that you provide them. I'm curious about what the referral process is to your team. So if I think a patient has immune dysregulation in the outpatient setting, what's my next step? So there are a number of ways to get in touch with us. And so the easiest way to find the team is if you just go to Google and you type immune dysregulation and CHOP or even just dirt and shop, mm -hmm. the first hit's gonna be our website and that gives all the contact information. You'll find the phone number for clinic there. You'll also find the email for our clinic, which is immune dysregulation, all one word, at chop.edu. And you can either on the webpage, fill out the web form, call the phone number or use the email. All those things essentially dump into the same system. If you're within the CHOP system, you can use Epic to just do a referral in Epic. You do referral to immune dysregulation clinic. That also sort of dumps into the same pool. And it's worth just touching on the process for a second. We have two full-time nurse practitioners on the team. All they do is immune dysregulation. And we have one full-time office coordinator. And so what the process is, is that the office coordinator gets the information, does the intake, gets the initial information that we then pass on to our nurse practitioners that go through the chart and figure out Number one, is this a patient that's a good match for our clinic? Can we actually help the patient? If that's true, then we decide which of the team members needs to see the patient. Not every patient needs every member of the team. So we only have them see the, the doctors that match the subspecialties that they need. Mm -hmm. And if they're not a good match for our team, we don't try to leave people out in a lurch. We actually try to suggest, may not be a great match for immune dysregulation, but have you thought about this other CHOP clinic or this mm -hmm. other CHOP provider or this other resource that actually might be more helpful to your patients. So we always try to leave refers with at least a next step, even if it's not necessarily coming to our team. That's great. And I think the acronym of DIRT here is really helpful because I think it'll stick in people's minds. So I think it was a, a catchy <laughs> acronym. 
So I would be a bad primary care pediatrician if I didn't talk about prevention. There's increasing evidence that altered microbiome and gut barrier dysfunction contribute to systemic inflammation in patients with primary immunodeficiency and in patients with rheumatic disease. So I'm wondering, are there things we should be doing to support the microbiome in the outpatient setting? Yeah, wow, that's a that's a good one because you know again that's one <laughs> where we could talk for hours on, right? I know. But I think just some short food for thought. And I'm going to come at this maybe more in my rheumatology hat, but it's probably true, you know, more broadly across immunodysregulation. dysregulation. You know, in terms of supporting the microbiome, it's a little hard to suggest things that are truly truly evidence-based. But I think another way of actually thinking about your question is are there things we should be doing to not hurt the microbiome? And I think one of the big things that we do that hurts the microbiome is overutilization of antibiotics. Yes. You know, for things like acute otitis media and, and other common childhood infections that are probably often viral and don't benefit from the antibiotic in the first place. And then that antibiotic disrupts the microbiome and causes further problems. Mm -hmm. And there's actually pretty decent evidence that doing that actually does put you at greater risk for autoimmune disease and in particular certain forms of juvenile idiopathic arthritis in that if you look at large cohorts of patients, the kids that had higher antibiotic exposure for things like acute otitis media had a higher incidence of JIA than the kids that did not have that exposure. And so I think one big thing that you know we can be doing in terms of prevention in the primary care world is being as thoughtful as we can about antibiotic antimicrobial usage, mm -hmm. because maybe that's the best way we support the microbiome is by not doing damage to it in the first place. I love that. I love thinking about antibiotic stewardship and being mindful of what antibiotics we actually need and using the right antibiotic when we do need it. So thank you for that. Now, we've covered a lot of probably new information for many listeners. And as you said, we could have talked about many of these topics and questions today for hours. And um, in your case, you've made a career of talking about this. But we're going to try to synthesize it all down pretty quickly and hope that you can help me summarize some of your top takeaways for listeners. So I think point one, if you have objective evidence of an immune problem, Whatever, however that looks like, fever, rash, good lymph nodes, you know, labs, and you're not necessarily getting answers from traditional medical pathways or easy diagnoses, think immune dysregulation, make a referral to our clinic, you know, we're happy to help. I think paying attention to these two different populations and thinking about them differently, what does it look like in the infant who is more likely to present with a monogenic disease versus what is it going to look like in a teenager who will have maybe had not a monogenic, but a more subtle form of disease and a more slow burn course. And then to know that we really have moved beyond the theoretical, both in terms of diagnostics and in therapeutics for this. And so to not to feel like there is no hope, but actually, I really think there's a lot of hope if we can get patients to the sort of right place at the right time to help them get a diagnosis and get on specific therapies that can support their immune system. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Behrens, and for teaching us more about immune dysregulation, in particular, your immune dysregulation clinic or DIRT. We appreciate everything you're doing for patients there, as well as the rest of your multidisciplinary team. And we are so fortunate to have you at CHOP. And again, thanks for sharing with us today on the podcast. Thank you, too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.